one of the things we do as pastors around Christmas time is read and reread the Christmas story. This story is so amazing, it should be enough just to read it. But every year, it's the same thing. We as pastors have to make this really old story new. No matter matter how many times we read it, every year we always talk about a virgin, we talk about angels and shepherds, and we talk about a long trip on a donkey, and of course, we talk about a baby. Over these last few weeks, we've been in a series called Get Ready, and this week we're talking about getting ready for a king. (laughs) Last week, we were in the book of Luke, and today we'll be looking at the book of Matthew. But before we look at how Matthew tells this version of the Christmas story, let's back this story up just a little bit. Because this story has been building for years, maybe thousands of years. And like every story, this story has a prequel, a a back story. And if we can't understand the background, we might be able to understand this story just a little bit better. When Matthew starts his version of the Christmas story, up to that point in history, there had been about 400 years since a prophet had spoken to the Jews. Theologians call this 400 years of silence. 400 years from the end of the Old Testament to when Jesus showed up. It's not like nothing happened in the world. It's just the Jewish people had not heard from God. To them, it probably seemed like a very, very long wait. What's a long wait for you? Now, I've seen some of you at McDonald's, and if your fries don't come out hot as you are ordering them, it doesn't matter if the person who's making, who's, who's making them is making minimum wage. That's way too long. If you're at the drive-thru at your favorite coffee shop and your coffee's not handed to you as you pull up to that window, you know, you don't even want to stop. It's not fast enough. Last weekend, I ducked down to the office in between the services to make myself a Keurig coffee, and I found out the machine was off. I had to turn it on, and it seemed like to take forever to make. <laughs> Have you ever waited for something for so long that you thought it's not coming? <laughs> From the time that people could ask the question, from the beginning of time, they were asking questions, how did we get here? Who created us? And right at the beginning, there was this story of a broken relationship with an all-powerful God, but a plan to restore that relationship with a person who would reverse the curse that mankind had put on itself. But when was this person coming? I'm sure this silence for the Jewish people was really hard. When you have to wait, it's always nice to get an update on maybe on how long you'll be waiting. But during this 400 years of silence, there was nothing, and people had been waiting a long time. And we're talking thousands of years, generation after generation of people wondering, is this the time? Is this the generation that will finally see this promise? People were really looking for a king, and the first century, in the first century, they were getting desperate because they really didn't like the king they, that was ruling them. They, they were being ruled by Rome, and they wanted their own king. Last week, we took a look at Luke's version of this story, and you can always go back and watch our messages on YouTube, so if you missed that one, you might want to catch up at some point. But Luke starts his story with a great explanation of where he got these stories from and how Mary might have felt with the news that she was going to have a child. Today, we're going to look at Matthew's version of how this Christmas story gets started. Now, just to warn you, the start of this story isn't as exciting. Now, Matthew didn't tell us how he got this birth information like Luke did. But Matthew, he was one of Jesus' first disciples. He He was one of the 12 guys who followed Jesus around for about three years. Before he followed Jesus, he had a job as a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government, and really, he was thought of as an enemy to many Jewish people. 
But he witnessed firsthand many of the stories in the Gospels. If it happened, Matthew probably saw it and tried to understand it. And he remembers how he felt when Jesus healed people. He remembered the disappointment when Jesus died and the joy that they all felt when they realized that he was alive. Matthew starts off his story with a, a list of a bunch of dead people. <laughs> Not the best way to grab people's attention. Now, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get to these lists of people who I don't know, I, I just skip them. But Matthew lists generation after generation of where Jesus came from. It's the first century's version of 23andMe or Ancestry DNA. It's helping people understand where they came from. Luke's story is trying to show how God became man. Matthew takes a different approach to a different audience. Matthew is trying to show us how Jesus is king. He gives us this long line of names. It doesn't mean much to you and me, but to the original readers and hearers of this letter, these names would have been familiar. Last week, we talked how they followed an oral tradition, and, and as they heard these names, they remember the many stories that had been told over the years, either by, from their parents or maybe even the local rabbi. Matthew gives us this long line of Jesus' lineage, all the way from the person who they say is the father of the Jewish people, Abraham, all the way to Joseph. It's about 40 generations. Now, what happens next is interesting. And for us in 2021, we read this and think, oh, that's an interesting story. But for those Jewish people who read it in the first century, there's a little more nuance and a little more subtle meaning. Now, let's jump to the more exciting part of Matthew chapter one. You know, after the long list of people having kids and dying and having kids and dying and you get the rest of the story. Now that we have, now that we know how we got here, Matthew starts his story in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who were here last week or watched online, you might be thinking that this story sounds a little familiar. It's interesting comp to compare the two versions of the story. We have the same character, but, but a different perspective. Today, we're going to see another side of the story. Last week, we were looking at the story from Mary's perspective. This is more from the perspective of Joseph. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to, dis to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, if Joseph were to follow the Jewish law, the letter of the law in Deuteronomy, if Mary is saying that she is someone that she is not, Joseph could have had her killed. Seems a little harsh to me. Now, it looks like Joseph didn't want to do that. Matthew tells us Joseph just wanted to end it quietly. Now, I'm not sure what that looked like. You know, she'd probably go her way with her story of still being a virgin and then give birth. And he'd go his way, hoping his parents could find him another young woman to marry and he could put this difficult chapter of his life behind him. Joseph wasn't about to make a quick decision. In verse 20, it says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord to appear to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David. Hmm? It's interesting to hear the title that the angel gives to Joseph. The angel calls him son of David. David. But if you look at the long list of names, you'll see that Joseph's father's name isn't David, it's Jacob. So did the angel make a mistake? Did this angel have the wrong Joseph? And why of all the names of his grandparents would they pick out that one name, David? When the angel calls him Joseph, son of David, he's reminding Joseph where he came from, who he was related to. You are Joseph and you come from royalty. 
Israel's second king. You are a part of this long list in a royal family. You come from a long line of someones. (laughs) You are someone important. Joseph, you carry some weight. We also show that Joseph had a legal right to the throne of David. The only problem is they didn't have a Jewish king, so he didn't have any rights. But if the Jews would ever get a king back, you and your family might be called to serve. Let's keep reading. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, if I were Joseph, I might have had some questions. You know, that's a really nice thing to say and hear, but it makes things complicated, doesn't it? You know, Joseph may have said, do you know how crazy that sounds? How can I explain this to everyone thinks that I'm crazy, that Mary's crazy? That there's no way that a baby's born because of a virgin. But Joseph didn't ask that, and we'll never know what the angel would have said. Verse 21, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. To us, this doesn't mean much, but in the first century, this meant something. Some historians believe that it was the father's job to give the children their names. So if Joseph is naming the child, he's going to be thought to be the father. The angel is saying that you are to take this child as your own, and he will be thought of being from the line of David. This child is going to be thought of as your child. Matthew is telling us that Jesus came and was born a king, not a religious figure. And maybe we need to think about that for a minute. The problem is they don't really need a king. They already had a king. Caesar was their king, whether they liked that or not. What they needed was a better king. Most kings do whatever they can to stay in power. When they make a decision, the first person they think of is themselves. And the question they ask is, how can I stay in power? And once I'm gone, how can my kingdom never end? They knew that there could only be one king. And if there were ever rumors of another king popping up, they would do their best to squash that idea by getting rid of that want-to-be king. But Jesus came as a different kind of king. Jesus came as a king who would disturb and reverse the order of things. A king who would lay down his life for his subjects instead of requiring that his subjects lay down their lives for him. A king who would say to his subjects, you are to lay down your lives for one another and if need be, even lay down your rights for your enemies. He would turn everything upside down, not as a religious figure, not simply as a savior, but as a king. But in Canada, this idea of a king being involved in our lives is a little foreign to us, isn't it? We don't want a king to rule us. We, we want some sort of say in who rules us. We, we want to vote. It's our right to vote. This is democracy. If we don't like who's ruling us, we just vote them out in the next election or at least try to. We don't like a king. Kings tend to stay for a long time. But Jesus came as king. The kingship or lordship of Jesus is often lost on us because of what culture has done to Jesus. And unfortunately, it's lost on many of us because of what the church has done to Jesus. For many Christians, we see that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Now, if you look back on the history of the church, it it may have been the church's first vision statement that Jesus is Lord. Paul would write something radical to a bunch of people who who are trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing out in the first century in Rome. They were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in the first century in this non-Jewish culture. 
Paul writes this, and he, he tries to write it in a simple way to submit our lives to Jesus and how to submit our lives to Jesus. This is what he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For those of us who grew up in church, we may have memorized this verse, and I, I learned it this way. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Now, most of us who memorized that years ago don't really understand what that meant to the first readers of this letter. Do, do you know how super dangerous for those who read that and said that in the, in the first century? Do you know how dangerous it was? There can only be one king, and you are declaring that there's another king? <laughs> You're in trouble. They were saying that Jesus is my king. I follow him. They were saying that I'm serving Jesus, the king, and this king, this king isn't my king. That's insurrection. But Jesus came as king. And sometimes we struggle with that. We struggle with having someone leading us. We're independent people. I can lead myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> can I tell you something? Now, I'll only tell you if you keep it between us. So turn it off if you're not going to keep this between us. No, I'm just joking. But I don't like being told what to do. But I don't think that's a me issue. I think this is something that many of you struggle with as well. No one wants people to tell them what to do. No one wants a boss to come into our office and tell us what to do. No one wants to get that letter from the Homeowners Association telling us that the color of our fence is the wrong color. <laughs> no one can tell me what to do with my body. We feel that we can make the decisions about me and that leaks into our relationship with God. We like him as our savior, but question his decisions as our leader and Lord. For some of us, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. For many of us, Jesus has been reduced to call a friend. You know, I've got an emergency and we've got Jesus on speed dial and we've been taught that Jesus is there to pray to and he hears our prayers and that is still true. Traditionally, we'd call this Jesus as Savior. We like the Savior part, don't we? Because for some of us, we like it when we get into trouble. To be able to use the get-out-of-jail card that Jesus seems to be, that we use Jesus to be. We like the idea that, if we, that, that we have a big brother who can get us out of trouble. You know, when we've spent too much on our toys, we pray for money so that we can pay the rent, and we like that. We like that kind of relationship. We get in trouble and Jesus, our Savior, gets us out of it. Isn't that what grace is all about? Jesus wants to be our Savior. But Matthew is showing us that we need to get ready for Jesus to be our King as well. The test for us with Jesus as Savior is whether we believe that He will save us. The test for Him as Lord is if we're willing to obey Him. While Jesus' right to rule our lives was lost on us, it was not lost on Mary and Joseph. People in the first century understood king. They had a king. Most of the Jewish people didn't like that king. Matthew was showing them that they had a chance to serve a new king. Mary was giving birth to a lawgiver, a judge, not just a forgiver of sins, a king. A king had been born, appointed by God, the father, the creator of all things. A king to establish a kingdom, not of this world, but in this world. A new king was born. And when a new king is born, people must choose because you can't serve two kings. Jesus is still king. The question that we have to wrestle with every day, the question we have to answer who call ourselves Christians is the question of how we spend our money, the question of how we spend our time and what are we going to prioritize? Are we going to let Jesus lead? Students, 
when you've spent your evenings watching Netflix instead of studying, and you know, you know you have an exam the next morning. You like that idea that we follow Jesus as our Savior, and you can pray as you enter the exam, God, God, I know that you know all things. Would you just give me the question, the answers to the questions of the exam? I wonder, how do we have acted if we followed him as our Savior and Lord? What would the one who we call king want us to do? Now, we adults can laugh because most of us probably did that. (laughs) And we remember how naive we were. But maybe if we were to follow Jesus as our Lord and King, we wouldn't get in as much trouble either. We, you know, we work way too much and then we come home and wonder why our kids won't talk to us or our marriage is falling apart and we pray, God, save this relationship. Maybe if we just follow Jesus as our Lord, he would lead us to get our priorities straight. Now, I know that's a very simple way to look at things. But I find that Christians like the Savior part more than the King part. Savior's get you out of trouble. Good kings keep you out of trouble. Now there's a huge difference because we like to get as close to trouble as we can sometimes. Jesus comes as a king that knows you, that loves you, that has the best for you. And the interesting thing is there is always a king in your life and it's up to you to choose who you want ruling your life. It can be Jesus or the default is you. And I found through experience that I tend, to my, I tend to lead myself not in the best way. I want what makes me feel good now. Jesus leads us maybe in a way that we don't understand, but he's a good king, a king that has, ha- that has our best interest in mind. Let me pray for you today. Father, we're so grateful that you sent your son as a baby 2,000 years ago. God, you, came, you brought him as a savior, but you also came you sent him as a king. God, I pray that as we reflect this Christmas season, I pray that we might be able to answer that question. Is he my king? What decisions in my life am I making that I need a leader, that I need someone to help me make good decisions? What, what things am I doing in my daily life, God, that you as my leader would not want me to make and actions that you would not want me to do? God, speak to us in a very clear way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At each one of our online services, we just don't want you to gather information, but we want you to wrestle with what was shared. So we ask a question. Now, this is a part where it would be easy for you to skip over. And I don't think that Jesus wants us to gather information. He's looking for our lives to be transformed. I know that there's no transformation without honest evaluation. So this question is just an opportunity for you to think about what was shared. Talk about, about it with the people you are watching with, or if you're watching it on your own, just think about it on your own. Just take a few minutes to think about it. And here's the question of the day. What is it in all of us that has trouble taking direction from someone else? What have you been avoiding thinking about because you think that Jesus would lead you somewhere you don't want to be? The question that we have to answer ourselves and decide is, is Jesus my king? Or if, if I decided just to follow the path of culture, tradition, the, or the tradition of the church, and have I used Jesus just as my savior, you know, in cases of emergencies, the last resort. When a king is born, you have to choose. On Christmas, a king is born. The question is, is he my king? Is he your king? Have you submitted to him? Have you accepted this king, not just to believe in, but to follow? This king cares for you has your best interest in mind this christmas will you be ready for king jesus maybe today he's asking you will will you follow me will you acknowledge me as your king 
if that's you today, we'd love to pray for you. Feel free to reach out, whether it's in the chat box or reach out to us at the office, and we'll help you take those next steps towards Jesus leading you as being as Jesus as your Lord and King. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of your Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We sure hope to see you back here at Christmas Eve or next weekend on the 26th.